We Are One Body Audio Theater presents Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Episode 2, The Ghost of Christmas Past. When Scrooge awoke, it was so dark that looking out of bed, he could scarcely distinguish the window from the walls of his chamber. Then suddenly, the church bell tolled a deep, dull, hollow, melancholy one. Then the room lit up, and the curtains of his bed were drawn aside by a strange figure, like a child. Yet not so like a child as like an old man, just as some babies seem to be born at a great age. The figure was viewed through some supernatural medium, which gave him the appearance of having receded from view, as of an old man who was diminished by distance to a child's proportions. Its hair, which hung about its neck and down its back, was white as if with age, and yet the face had not a wrinkle on it, and the skin was fresh and smooth. It held a branch of fresh green holly in its hand, and in singular contrast to that wintry emblem, was wreathed in summer flowers. But the strangest thing about it was that from the crown of its head there sprung a bright, clear jet of light by which all this was visible. Under its arm it held a great extinguisher that it might wear as a cap upon its head. Are you the spirit, sir, whose coming was foretold to me? I am. Who and what are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? No, your past. The things that you will see with me are but shadows of the things that have been. They will neither see nor hear us as we pass among them. The things that I will see? What do you mean, spirit? What business brings you here to me? Your welfare calls me here. Rise now and walk with me. It would have been in vain for Scrooge to plead that the weather and the hour were not adapted to pedestrian purposes, that the bed was warm and the street outside was cold, that he was clad but lightly in his slippers, dressing gown, and nightcap, and that he had a bit of a cold that night. The spirit's grasp, though gentle, was not to be resisted. Scrooge rose, but finding that the spirit steered him toward the window, he clasped its robe in supplication. I am a mortal, and I'm liable to fall. Touch my hand, and you shall be upheld in more than this. But spirit, I, I cannot fly. Spirit, no! Open your eyes, mortal. I shall not let you fall. What? Oh, but the ground, it's so far away! We shall be there soon. Come, I have much to show you. They suddenly stood upon an open country road with fields on either hand. 
the darkness of midnight had vanished, and it was a clear, cold winter day with snow upon the ground. Scrooge was conscious of a thousand odors floating in the air, each one connected with a thousand thoughts and hopes and joys and cares long, long forgotten. Good heavens. I was bred in this place. I was a boy here. Your lip is trembling. And what is that upon your cheek? Nothing. Nothing. Merely water in my eyes from the weeds that grow along this lane. In winter? Oh, never mind it. Show me what you will, spirit. Very well. Do you recollect the way? Recollect it? I could walk it blindfolded. It is strange, then, that you have forgotten it for so many years. Let us go on. They walked along the road, Scrooge recognizing every gate and post and tree, until a little market town appeared in the distance, with its bridge, its church, and a winding river. Some shaggy ponies now were seen trotting towards them with boys upon their backs, who called to other boys in country gigs and carts driven by farmers down the lane. All the boys were in great spirits and shouted to each other until the broad fields were so full of merry music that the crisp air laughed to hear it. The jocund travelers came on, and as they came, Scrooge knew and named them every one. Why, that's young John White and Albert Norris. Oh, Benjamin Hart, what a trickster. And Matthias Rottinger. Oh, <laughs> how he used to laugh. <laughs> Why was he rejoiced beyond all bounds to see them? Why did his cold eye glisten and his heart leap up as they went past? Why was he filled with gladness when he heard them give each other Merry Christmas as they parted for their several homes? What was Merry Christmas to Scrooge out upon Merry Christmas? What good had it ever done to him? The school is not quite deserted. A solitary child, neglected by his friends, is left there still. I know it. They left the high road by a well-remembered lane and soon approached a mansion of dull red brick with a little weathercock-surmounted cupola on the roof and a bell hanging in it. It was a large house, but one of broken fortunes, for the spacious offices were little used. Their walls were damp and mossy, their windows broken, and their gates decayed. Chickens clucked and strutted in the stables, and the coach houses and sheds were overrun with grass. Nor was it better kept within, for entering the dreary hall and glancing through the open doors of many rooms, they found them poorly furnished, cold, and vast. The ghost and Scrooge went across the hall to a door at the back of the house. It opened before them and disclosed a long, bare, melancholy room, made barer still by lines of empty desks. At one of these desks, a lonely boy was reading near a feeble fire, and Scrooge sat down next to him and wept to see his poor forgotten self 
as he used to be. Poor boy. I wish. I wish. Oh, but it's too late now. What is the matter? Nothing. Nothing. There was a boy singing a Christmas carol at my door last night. I should like to have given him something. That's all. Let us see another Christmas. Scrooge's former self grew larger at the words, and the room became a little darker and more dirty. The panels shrunk, the windows cracked, fragments of plaster fell out of the ceiling, and the naked beams were shown instead. But how all this was brought about, Scrooge knew no more than you do. He only knew that it was quite correct, that everything had happened so. And there he was, alone again, when all the other boys had gone home for the jolly holidays. He was not reading now, but walking up and down despairingly. Scrooge looked at the ghost, and with a mournful shaking of his head, glanced anxiously toward the door. It opened, and a girl, much younger than the boy, came darting in and put her arms about his neck and kissed him. Dear, dear brother. Fan, my dear little sister. I have come to bring you home, dear brother. To bring you home. Home, home. Home, little Fan? How can that be? Yes, home. For good and all. Home forever and ever. Oh, Ebenezer, father is so much kinder than he used to be that home is like heaven now. He spoke so gently to me one night when I was going to bed that I was not afraid to ask him once more if you might come home. And he said, yes, you should, and sent me in a coach to bring you. And you're to be a man now and are never to come back here. But first, we're to be together all the Christmas long and have the merriest time in all the world. <laughs> you are quite a woman, little fan. Coming all this way to fetch me by yourself? <laughs> She clapped her hands and laughed and began to drag him in her childish eagerness toward the door, and he, happy to leave the place, accompanied her. Always a delicate creature whom a breath might have weathered, but she had a large heart. So she had. She died a young woman and had, as I think, children. One child. True. Your nephew. Yes. Although they had but that moment left the school behind them, they were now in the busy thoroughfares of a city where shadowy travelers passed and repassed, carts and coaches battled for the way, and all the strife and tumult of a real city presented itself. It was made plain enough by the decorations on the shops that here, too, it was Christmas time again. But it was evening, and the streets were lighted up. Do you know this warehouse store? Know it? Why, I was apprenticed here. Let us go in. Why, it's old Fezziwig. Bless his heart. Old Fezziwig, alive again, and wearing his Welsh wig, just as he used to do. Seven o'clock. Hello there. Ebenezer. Jim. Bless my soul. That's me as I was, just out of school. Coming, Master Fezziwig. Oh, and that's Jim Wilkins, to be sure. My old fellow Prentice. Bless me, yes. There he is. He was my best friend then, Miss Jim. Come, come, my boys. No more work tonight. Christmas Eve, Jim. 
Christmas, Ebenezer. Let's close up shop and clear away the work. That's it, my lads. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's it. That's it. Help me push these desks aside, Ebenezer. Here, Jim, move that stool. We'll clear a proper ballroom in no time. bring in from the kitchen. Here, Mrs. Fezziwig, let me help you with that. That's a good boy, Jim. Can you take this platter, too? Of course. Here, give it to me. Here, I can help. Let me carry that bowl, Miss Fezziwig. Oh, thank you, Mr. Scrooge. Just follow Mother. Oh, the fiddler is here. Here, Ebenezer, put the bowl down on this table. Here, Miss Fezziwig? That'll do. Sarah, Belle, I'm so glad you could come. Oh, Mr. Scrooge. You know my friend, Belle Otway, don't you? How do you do? I don't believe we've met. It's a pleasure. Come now, my children. Let's have a dance. May I have the honor, Miss Otway? Why, yes, Mr. Scrooge, you may. You seem to have quite a kind master in Mr. Fezziwick, Mr. Scrooge. He is the kindest and best of men. A small matter to make these silly folks so full of gratitude. Fezziwig has spent but a few pounds of your mortal money. Three or four, perhaps. Is that so much that he deserves all this praise? It isn't that. It's, well, Fezziwig was our master. He had the power to render us happy or unhappy. To make our service light or burdensome, a pleasure or a toil. His power lay more in words and looks than in the money freely spent on us in things so slight and insignificant that it was impossible to add and count them up. Oh, what does it matter? The happiness he gave was quite as great as if it cost a fortune. What is the matter, Mr. Scrooge? Nothing. Something, I think. No, no, I, I I, should like to be able to say a word or two to my own clerk just now. That, That's all. My time grows short. Quick, take my hand again. As soon as Scrooge took the hand of the spirit, the scene before them dissolved into nothing. Suddenly, they were in a park on a chilly winter day. And there was Scrooge, still much younger than he was now, but not so young as he had been when he worked for Master Fezziwig. He was not alone, but sat by the side of a fair young girl in a black dress, in whose eyes were tears. Belle. It matters little to you, very little. Another idol has displaced me, and if it can comfort you in time to come, as I would have tried to do, I have no cause to grieve. What idol has displaced you? A golden one. You fear the world too much, Ebenezer. I have seen your nobler aspirations fall off one by one until the master passion, greed, engrosses you, have I not? Why does this displease you? I have grown wiser... What of it? I am not changed towards you. Have I ever sought release from our engagement? In words, no. Never. In what, then? In a changed nature. In an altered spirit. In having another hope as the goal of your life. 
If you were free today, tomorrow, yesterday, can even I believe that you would choose a dowerless girl? Or choosing her, do I not know that your repentance and regret would surely follow? I do know it. And I release you with a full heart for the love of him you once were. Spirit, remove me from this place. I told you. These were shadows of things that have been. They are what they are now. Do not blame me. Remove me! I cannot bear it! Leave me or take me to my own chambers, but haunt me no longer! Suddenly, Scrooge was conscious of being exhausted and overcome by irresistible drowsiness. He barely had time to stumble into bed before he sank into a heavy sleep. That was Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, Episode 2, The Ghost of Christmas Past. Adapted for audio by Gretelyn Darkey. Directed by Gretelyn Darkey and John Wotechko. And produced by Thomas Marincheck. The cast, in order of appearance, was Dennis Jurs as the narrator. Paul Guggenheimer as Ebenezer Scrooge. Chris Paluzzi as the ghost of Christmas past. Rhiannon Owen as Fan Scrooge. Asher Yachts as young Ebenezer Scrooge. Joe Potts as Fezziwig. Peter Jers as Jim Wilkins, Susan Potts as Mrs. Fezziwig, Genevieve LaFosse as Sarah Fezziwig, and Carolyn Jers as Belle Otway. Our audio technicians were Joseph Adams, Jacob Gorsuch, and Thomas Marincheck. Foley and sound design by Joseph Adams and Jacob Gorsuch. The music was composed by Gretelyn Darkey and mastered by Joseph Adams. The Reedsdale hornpipe was performed on the violin by Henry Crom. This audio adaptation of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol is a production of We Are One Body Audio Theatre.